are listening to the Grassroots Sermon Podcast. For more information about who we are or how you can become involved, please visit us at grassrootswv.com. If you don't already have your Bibles out and turn to 1 Peter, I encourage you to do that. Um, It should be no surprise to you today uh, what today is. It is Easter Sunday. Uh, It is what we would call the pinnacle of the Christian faith, uh, where we celebrate Jesus as our risen Savior. And so I want to um, just ask the question I think everybody is probably asking this morning, um, why are we in 1 Peter chapter 2? Shouldn't we be in the Gospels? Shouldn't we be um, maybe even at the beginning of Acts uh, where Jesus is risen. Like, why, why are we in 1 Peter chapter 2? And uh, if you know anything about how we do our teaching here uh, at Grassroots, what we do is uh, at the beginning of the year, we pray through what would God have us preach through in Scripture. Uh, you know that we preach uh, expositorily, which means verse by verse. Uh, through books of the Bible. Obviously, we are doing our uh, series in the parables as well this year, but um, we pray through that, and at the beginning of the year, we just lay it out week by week, and every year, I I really need to stop being surprised. Um, Every year, wherever we're at, I mean, last year, we were in Genesis, and it happened that on Easter Sunday, where we were in Genesis, just fit the resurrection beautifully. And so today, we happen to go into 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and it fits Easter Sunday beautifully. Now, at first, as you're reading, you might go, um, no, it doesn't. And, and then I would say, just hang on, okay? Just hang on. So uh, I am inviting you, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we are in this series that we are calling First uh, Peter, Living as Resident Exiles. If you've not been a part of this series, we started this at the beginning of the year, and um, we took the month of March to go through uh, some of the parables of Jesus, but we are back into this series, First Peter, Living as Resident Exiles. And just to, just to catch everybody up, because I know, how many of y'all remember, um, like, in school, you'd be kind of going through your work and like Christmas break would hit uh, and then you'd come back after Christmas break and you were like, um, what's math? You know, or, or how do you speak English? Uh, you know, what's a preposition? I still don't know, but, uh, but you know, you might, you know, you, you want to you kind of refresh. I, that, that really hurt my wife just now because she is an English teacher um, and so, but she knows my weaknesses and my flaws, uh, so she knows. Um, so where's Gina? Gina, my Grammarly, um, you know, sister here that we, uh, we have to use that to God's glory. So, um, and for our grades, but, uh, in first Peter living as resident exiles, just to catch everybody up, this is the apostle Peter writing to Christians that are dispersed throughout Asia Minor. And Asia Minor, if you were to look it up today, that's modern-day Turkey. We have a map that will show you just briefly. This is where um, Asia Minor, this is that area. And if you were to go south a little bit, uh, what you would find just following, you could see the Mediterranean Sea there. If you just went down the coastline, where you're going to find yourself, um, you know, quite a distance, but a distance down below that, you're going to come to uh, Jerusalem. 
Okay, and so up north of Jerusalem, this is modern-day Turkey, but this is Asia Minor. This is where the Christians were that Peter was writing this letter to. And he is teaching them what it looks like for those that are Christians to live day-to-day life in a world where they no longer belong. We've all been there where we've been in situations and present in places where you just look around and you go, I don't feel like I fit here. And as Christians, other than in the presence of the church, we're just going to feel like that. Things are going to be happening. People are going to be acting ways, talking ways, treating one another certain ways, doing certain things in the way they conduct their lives that we just go, I'm just not there anymore. What's different? It's because we are Christians. We are the body of Christ. We have been set apart. We are different. How do we go about life day to day? And he, he calls us uh, exiles. He calls the Christians in that area exiles. And it's not because they're separate from Jerusalem. Okay? That's not why he calls them exiles. But he calls them exiles because he wants to make the point of what we as Christians are. So I'm going to give you four things real quick. Okay, and I do mean real quick. If you're a note taker, you might have already written these down before. But let me just give them to you again. Four ways that you belong in a land. Okay? The first one we know is just you're a resident. Okay? If you were born in America, you are an American citizen. Okay? You're a resident. You're a citizen. That's how you belong here. You are nature born here, and and so you are a citizen, a resident here. Or you can be a tourist. A tourist, just, I really want you to get this really clear because these are, we're using spiritual terms here, okay? A tourist just comes into the land to take advantage of what it has to offer. You want to see the best sites. You want to go to the touristy places. You want to find the best restaurants. You just want to partake of what you would deem is good in that land. You have no interest in putting back into it. You just want to see what you can get out of it. That's a tourist. Okay. Now, next time you're a tourist, you're like, wow, I'm a terrible person because I wanted to go on vacation. But uh, you can be a tourist or you can be an immigrant. Okay. You can uh, come to a land with the desire to then become a part of that land, to become a citizen, a resident of that land. Okay, even though you were not naturally born there, you want to come to that land and become a part of it. Or you can be what Peter is calling us, an exile. And that is somebody who is in a land they do not belong and they will never belong. Because, listen, get this, these are spiritual terms. Because your citizenship and your home is somewhere else. We belong somewhere else. And that somewhere else is the kingdom of God in the presence of Jesus, worshiping God in the power of the Holy Spirit forever. That's where we belong. So when you find yourself here on earth going, I just don't feel like I fit in. I just don't feel like I belong with what's going on around me. And to that I would go, amen to the power of the Holy Spirit changing you. And so we find ourselves as exiles in this land. Now, I'm gonna give you a a one sentence uh, summarization of chapter one, okay? In chapter one, 
Peter shows that we have been called by God to life. Okay, now remember, not just new life. We've been called to life. We were dead in our sins. He's called us to life, given us a future hope. And because of that, we can be faithful to endure suffering and be busy building the kingdom of God. Okay, that's chapter one. If you missed all the sermons, you just got them in one sentence. Okay, it was a very broken up sentence, and probably if I wrote it down grammatically, it'd be terrible. I would impute it into Grammarly, and it would correct it. Okay, but you just got it. So now, Easter Sunday, 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Happy Easter. Seems legit, right? Like, it seems like it fits. Like, happy Easter, Jesus is risen, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Let's pray and go home and eat this big dinner that we're all about to gorge on. Like, does that, it's like, where are we at, okay? I said, hang on. We're going to get there. We're going to see how today this is a beautiful passage to be in. But he says in chapter 2, verse 1, so put away. That so, what's the so there for? Okay, it's there for a purpose. So, that means there's been a transition. Something's happened. Okay, what has happened that he says, so put away these things? So what? What's happened? If you look back just a couple of verses in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, this is what he says. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Because we have been changed through the power of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God, changing us in salvation, making us new, calling us to life. Because that change has happened, so put away. Because that happened, now this happens. And he tells us to put away five things. Five things he tells us to put away. He tells us to put away malice, he tells us to put away deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Now, let's just understand the progression here. Malice is the desired harm for other people. So if you find yourself wishing harm on others, that's malice. I can remember my dad telling the story about driving home from a conference one time, and he was in his car, and a car came by and swerved over to his side of the road and, and sideswiped his car and ran my dad into the ditch. My dad was fine, but that car took off, and my dad, just being honest, said he got out of the car, and he said, God, would you just kill them? That's malice, just to clear it up. And just so you're, my father's repented of that, he is forgiven. It is under the blood, praise God. So that's malice. Deceit. Now, everybody, you guys know what deceit is. You're like, oh, that's lying. Okay, I want to take it further, okay? Deceit. What is deceit other than self-preservation? Think about that. What is deceit other than self-preservation? Why do you lie to somebody? It's because you don't want to get in trouble. It's because you don't want them mad at you. 
It's because you don't want them to find out what you've done. It's because you're trying to get away with something. Now, a lot of us would go, well, I, I just, I don't want to tell them that it's for their good. No, it's you don't love them enough to tell them the truth. That's deceit. Deceit is nothing less than self-preservation. And then you have hypocrisy, which we all know, because the church is accused of this over and over and over again. And to that, I would go, uh, yes and amen. We do say one thing and a lot of times live another, but then we repent and we are forgiven. But it's, li- it's saying one thing and living another. And then you have envy. Now, again, kind of like uh, deceit is self-preservation. What is envy other than self-exaltation? Envy is self-exaltation. Think about it. They don't deserve that. I do. They shouldn't have gotten that. I should have. Why did they win when I deserve it? Why did they get the promotion when I do all the work? You are pushing somebody else down and exalting yourself. That's what envy is. And then it ends with slander. And slander, I know we want to talk about, oh, slander, I think, is slander what you say, but libel is what you write. I got that right. Okay, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, if, if I write something bad about somebody, that's, I'm liable. You know, slander is what you Slander is the words we use. But listen, think about it. Slander comes from a heart of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. And, and Jesus, in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, actually preaching on this, said, hey, out of, look at this, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So if we have in our hearts present malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, then guess what's going to come out in our words? Slander. So, so here's what's present in our lives, and here's what uh, Peter is telling us to put away these things. Because of the change that Jesus has brought in our lives, those things should be put away. We are active in this. Please, just do me a favor. If you don't hear anything else today, uh, especially if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I pray you'll hear the gospel. But if you are a Christian, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this, okay? Um, Please do not sit around going, man, I can't wait for God to take this slander from me. I can't wait for him to take this envy from me. I can't wait for him to take this hypocrisy from me, okay? Be active in prayer, asking God to remove it, and then be active in your own life, killing it. Be aware of it in your heart and in your life and be active killing it, okay? So just want to make that very clear this morning. But he says, because of the change, so what? So what? Because of the change, put these things away. And here's how he says that you know you can put these things away. Look at verses two and three. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in salvation. If, big if, if you have a Bible and you write in it, okay, I, if, this is a, a journaling Bible, so I write in it, but I write in my Bible. I don't, if you don't like writing your Bible, don't do it. But if you write in your Bible, circle if, okay, circle if, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Nick, any guess what Psalm 34, 8 says when we read, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good? And the reason I'm asking, how many of y'all, listen, the verse says, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
How many of y'all right now are singing that song in your head? I see hands everywhere. I'm not going to sing it to God's glory and you're good. <laughs> but maybe next week we will. I don't know. But, but, but that's, that's that song. He's saying, hey, if indeed you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Uh, a couple of years ago, how many of y'all, real quick, raise of hands, um, you've been to the uh, restaurant downtown called The Asylum? Raise your hand, downtown. Okay. If you, raise your hand if you haven't been there. Hey, call me. <laughs> call me. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. My treat, okay? And here's why I say that. I love the asylum. I love going to that restaurant. I love their food. But a couple years ago, we went um, for Father's Day. Because it was Father's Day, I got to choose, okay? So I said, shut up, kids, and it's my turn, all right? No, actually, they just let me choose, and I appreciate it. But we went to the asylum, and we walked in, and their sandwich of the day was this special chicken sandwich. Now, some of you might be familiar with it. It's on the menu now, and it's called the Kickin' Chicken Sandwich. Okay, anybody, I see some head shake. Okay, highly recommend it. From, from, from my pastor's heart to you, I highly recommend the Kickin' Chicken Sandwich. Now, I went in there and was like, that sounds good. I ate it, and I was raving about it forever. So much so, Adam will remember this. We had one of our elders meetings. I bought us those, like I treat, I'm like, you've got to try this sandwich. And he agreed that it is, I don't know if you agree, is it the best chicken sandwich you've ever had? It's close, okay? He might say God's chicken is better, um, but I'm saying uh, the asylum bested Chick-fil-A on this, okay? But um, now you can go check for yourself, but, but I, I've told people, you gotta try this. When I take people there, I'm like, they're like, hey, what should I get? And I'm like, let me tell you what you should get. And do you know why I do that? And it sounds so cheesy, but it's true, okay? It's because I've tasted and seen that that is good. And I want other people to experience that as well. And so this is what Peter is saying. When we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then, okay, then we are going to want more. We're going to want more. We're going to be growing because he says, like infants, like infants desire that milk they want it, they crave it, and, and they let you know when they want it. They go after it, they want it. And he says, like that, you know you are growing when you are desiring more of God's word and more of intimacy with Jesus. And I can't help but I'm going to share this story. It's going to embarrass Luke a little bit, um, but he was young enough that he, he, he does not remember this. Kelly and I remember it vividly. Um, there was one family meal that we were uh, with my family around the table when we lived in Martinsburg. Uh, Luke was, I don't remember how old, but old enough to have a strong voice. Um, and Kelly was feeding him, and as soon as she put the food in his mouth, he would swallow it and scream. Do you remember this? Do you remember how old he was? He, he was little, but it was like you couldn't, I mean, you couldn't shovel it in fast enough. The second he swallowed, he's screaming. He wanted more. Now, that's depravity, so don't be like, you're going to scream at Jesus, give me more out of a, you know, a temper tantrum. But, but it's, it's this picture of what I get, this picture in my head that when we taste and see that it is good, we want more. We want more. We want more. We can't get enough. We desire more intimacy. We desire more knowledge. We desire more understanding. We want more of who Jesus is, and we want less of what this world has to offer. 
And what we end up seeing is when we get rid of these things, okay, when we get rid of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, it's because we found something better. That's what Peter's trying to tell us that we get rid of these things, not because we are trying to earn God's favor or be good before man. No, what we're doing is, I don't want these things. I found something better. Jesus is better. He is worthy. He is worth it. And I will get rid of anything that keeps me from intimacy with him. And so that's what we see Peter trying to tell us as we grow, as we're growing we see things begin to change. And then it happens. Right there, just like that. I think while he was writing, he clapped. And it was different. There's a transition, and I'm going to be honest, it's a peculiar transition. Because what he's telling us is, hey, put away these things. You've been changed. Something's different. And then he goes to verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, Chosen and precious. Uh, what? Huh? Like, there's, it's, I, like, I think you could almost draw a line in your Bible and go, why did he, because it feels like he just flipped the table and said, all right, new topic. Put away these things. You've been changed. It, it rolls from chapter one into those first three verses. And now, verse four, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Listen, that is Jesus. And that is why today, Easter Sunday, we remember and we celebrate, listen to me, the day Jesus proved he is who he says he is. You can go visit a tomb where he, listen to me, was buried. But you will find no body. There are religious leaders buried all over this planet. And you can visit their graves, and they are all still there. But today we celebrate because as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, because of Easter, we have hope. Verse 5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Because of Easter, we as Christians are being built up into the temple of God. No longer, don't think Old Testament temple that he wants big buildings and animal sacrifices going on, but he is saying we are under the covenant of grace where we are built up as the temple and we offer spiritual sacrifices as we give ourselves over daily to him. Listen to me, giving ourselves over daily to him, letting go of anger or malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, because we have been changed and we found something better. We see the, the stone that was rejected becoming something. Verse 9. You're going, hey, what happened to 6, 7, and 8? Hang on. Verse 9. 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Because of Easter, we have hope. Because of Easter, we as Christians are being built up. But listen, because of Easter, all right, as chosen daughters and sons of God, we are a priesthood of believers. We are a nation, his people. We are under mercy. We are under grace. And listen, why? So we can produce. What can we produce what, what are we saved? Listen, this is what we always said. There's always, when you look at something, there's always a negative and a positive, okay? So um, let's look at the negative. Uh, you know, you, you, you watched, maybe you watched the final four last night, okay? One really stupid game, one really good game, okay? Um, and, and maybe your team lost. But if your team lost, that means somebody else's team won, so there's a negative and there's a positive. And the negative is that we have been saved. The negative, something's been taken away. We've been saved from sin, but there's a positive meaning. We've been saved to something. A lot of times we want to say, Jesus rose from the dead to save me from my sins. Yes and amen, but it's not that just we've been saved from something. We've been saved to something. And he's saying here that we have been saved to his mercy. We have been saved to become his people. We have been saved to become a priesthood of believers. We have been saved to proclaim the goodness of God. And the victory that Jesus has in the grave. I'm, I am really hoping y'all are catching this today. Again, the masks are on. I don't know if you've glazed over. Uh, I don't know if you're, you know, I, I don't know. But I, I really hope you're encouraged in your heart today. Okay? And so we have not just been saved from something. We have been saved to something. And now we produce, we produce work for God's glory. And we build his kingdom. Okay? So with that, we see with Easter, we have hope. With Easter, we are being built up. And with Easter, listen, we've got work to do. Because of Easter, we've got work to do to God's glory. Now, I want to ask one final question, then I'm going to give you a couple things to, to ponder on uh, those last few verses we skipped, and then I'm done. Do we realize that without Easter, we are still dead in our sins and in our rebellion against God? Do we recognize that? Do we, do we realize that? Because, listen to me, the blood of Christ really bugs people. Uh, Jared C. Wilson is a pastor and author, and he has a quote. Go ahead and throw it up there. I want you all to see this. He had a really good quote um, about this very thing. He said, in a day when alleged proclaimers of the word define life abundantly as material goods and finite pleasures, a battered king nailed to a cross is still a stumbling block. Now listen, and it is still a mandate. The change of culture does not change the fact that we have to put our faith in the redemptive blood of Christ on the cross and in his work in the empty grave. 
Just because the blood of Christ starts to bug people does not mean we cannot proclaim it anymore. Because I'm just going to be flat honest with you and as straightforward as I can with you. There are churches all over the world today that are celebrating Easter. And their main focus today was we're going to entertain to the best of our ability to get as many people in the seats as we can. So then we can post, look at the numbers we had. I'm just being honest with you. I was sharing with our welcome team out there and you'll just have to, I told them don't judge, but you'll just have to judge. Since we planted grassroots, I've come to be more annoyed by Easter and Christmas than I have to enjoy them. Because a lot of people want to show up on a Sunday during Easter and during Christmas and find that we're doing something big and fancy and special because of these days. And I say, listen, there's nothing we can do that can compare to just celebrating what Jesus did in coming to this earth and then dying on the cross and raising from the dead. We cannot compare with that. And I'm not going to try. We're not going to fancy things up. The only reason I'm dressed this nice is because Adam looks so fresh today <laughs> that I, I had to make sure, because I'd love to be in shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops. Just anytime, just so anybody knows, it's not just Sunday morning, Easter, like anytime, I'd rather be in shorts, t-shirt, and flip-flops. But I'm not going to try to compare with the work of Jesus rising from the dead, nothing compares to that. I just want to proclaim it. And that's why this passage is so beautiful on Easter. Real quick, to finish up, go back to verses 6 through 8. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That comes from Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That comes from Psalm 118, 22. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That comes from Isaiah 8, 14. They stumble, finishing up verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. I want to ask you to finish up our time today. I'm going to ask you a simple question. And I'm going to give you just something to think about this week, okay? Listen to me. Church, Christian, individual. What is the foundation to your life? What is your life built on? Now, that's a question where I could go ponder that this week. But I think it's one of those questions to go, how do you figure that out? And to that, I'm going to give you three Questions to ponder, okay? And just in case you're trying to write these down, you miss one, we'll actually, uh, I'll post these, okay, this week on social media. Um, we'll send it out in our email because we want to make sure people ponder this, okay? Now listen, here's question number one. When you're trying to find out what you build your life on, here's question number one. What or who has captured your heart, your affection, your love? What are you drawn to? What captures your heart? Question two, what or who has command of your resources? We talked about this a little bit last week, but what or who has command of your resources? And last, question number three, when suffering comes, where do you turn first? We'll post those this week, but think about those questions. Who or what has captured your heart? What or who has command of your resources? And when suffering comes, where do you turn first? Because listen, church, listen, the stone rejected on Friday 
became the cornerstone on Sunday. And that's what we celebrate this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, today. Thank you for Easter. Thank you that we get to celebrate a risen and living Savior. We do not uh, worship somebody dead in the ground somewhere, dead in a tomb somewhere. We worship you and you alone. And so, God, we just lift you up. Jesus, we thank you for your work on the cross and in the grave. Holy Spirit, we thank you for changing us, indwelling us, and marking us as sons and daughters. But I lift anybody up to you today, God, who is here and might not know you as Savior. They do not know about their relationship with you. I pray that today you give them the faith they need to put that faith in you and trust you and to change their heart, God, uh, that you would do that work today. God, we proclaim through your word and boldly, Jesus, your blood shed on the cross because of our sin and rebellion, that we would never forget the weight of that and what it took for us to be brought back into relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so today we celebrate the victory that you won for your glory on our behalf. We love you, God. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. In Jesus' your name we pray. Amen.